Hello, all of you wonderful people. How are we doing tonight? You guys good? Good, man. It's a good night to be alive. Spring is in the air, which means love is in the air. And the Red Conference is one week away. Carl Lentz will be standing right here seven days from now. So that'll make you insecure if you're me. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Come on. But it is going to be epic, man. I I'm believing and expecting big things next week for the Red Conference. Like, it's going to be historical for this city. And I just believe that with all my heart. So sign up for it, man, if you haven't already. Just take care of that tonight. But I am, am also very, very excited and expectant for tonight. And I'm not just saying that because I feel like I'm supposed to. I seriously believe it with all my heart. Like we, we've been talking about with this whole Glory City series all along, the atmosphere is changing now. The evidence is everywhere that the Spirit of the Lord is here. Like you want evidence that the Spirit of the Lord is in this building right now? Just look around you right now because this many people, this many young adults on a Thursday night when there's other stuff to do, you guys don't come here just for a message or for some funny videos or for even music. You come here because, man, there's something about the Spirit of the Lord that's in this room and we can tangibly feel it. The atmosphere is changing now. Spring is in the air and just in case you forgot, the Broncos are still Super Bowl champions. Yeah. That's never going to get old, man. And I will, I will ride that coattail for a while with no shame. So just be ready for that. I thought of a, uh, I thought of a awesome football metaphor at the gym the other day while I was curling my 15s. And at the 24 that I go to, on one of the TVs, they've just been showing reruns from all the Broncos games from this past season, which I'm fine with. Like, if that doesn't get you jacked up to lift, I don't know what will. I got Broncos games on the screens. I got Elevation Worship and Katy Perry in my headphones going back to back. I'm like, I'm proud to be an American, man. I love this. Broncos on, and, and if you remember, if you think back to this past season, especially in the playoffs, there were a lot of nerves and a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety from Broncos fans all over Colorado, myself included, wondering, hoping, and praying every single Sunday if the Broncos were going to pull off a victory. So much drama this past fall, man. We love it and we hate it. We thrive off of it. The journey was real. And um, it's funny because... Now, I'm on the other side of things watching those same games and the experience is completely different because I know the outcome. I know how everything ends up. I know that we are Super Bowl champions. I know that in the NFL, the Broncos are more than conquerors. How do you like them apples? That's good. <laughs> Broncos are more than conquerors, which, which changes like every, like the, the entire way that I watch these reruns. So now your standard Broncos fan can go into his or her local 24-hour fitness and watch reruns of the same exact games that gave he or she, you like that grammar, that gave he or she so much stress and sleepless nights just a few months before. And it's completely different because you know how the season ends. You know the end game and you experience it differently because of that. So I like just take that concept and apply on a much larger scale to your life and ask yourself, how would you have lived today differently if you truly lived like you knew how all of this was gonna end? Because you know how all of this ends. Jesus conquers death. I've read the last chapter of the Bible and we win. Like in a pretty victorious way, we win. 
All right, and so how do you live, how does your life change if you're gonna live the days and weeks and seasons of your life with the end game in mind, allowing the end game, the end result to infiltrate your here and now because if life were anything like the NFL, you would be on the Denver Broncos. You'd be on the team that's going to win and come out on top in the end. God has conquered sin. God has conquered death. Jesus, God has conquered anything and everything that's gonna stand between you and the love that he has for you. Because of Jesus, we win. We are more than conquerors. And so what if you lived with the end game in mind? How would it change how expectant you are to see God move in your today? Check out just these three verses from Romans chapter eight. This is pretty much the only verses that we're gonna look at tonight, but I just wanted to get hammered into our heads tonight. This is Paul, and he says this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What's gonna stand between you and the love that your heavenly father has for you? Trouble, nothing, there it is. Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, no. Why? Because in all of those things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And that is the kind of language that allows the victorious end game in your life, your victorious eternity, to infiltrate your life in the here and now. To play the season like you know you're going to win the Super Bowl. To live your life like you truly know that you are more than a conqueror because, man, there is something big happening here. We've been talking about it for the past two weeks. God is moving in crazy ways. It's time for us to be expectant to see the glory of God, you guys. It's time for us to live like we truly do know that we are more than conquerors. I know God is on the move all the time, but the atmosphere has been changing and he is present in a new way than he's ever been. And if there's going to be ever a time that you embrace the fact that you are more than a conqueror, I promise you it's right now because he's here in a crazy big way. It's kind of like when you watch the weather channel or you look at the weather app on your phone and you get a forecast of the weather for the day, right? And then what do you do? You dress expectant of that forecast. Like you trust the forecast and you prepare and you dress accordingly. So if the forecast is sun, then you're gonna dress accordingly. You're gonna put on some shorts and maybe some flip-flops. You're gonna thank God and you're gonna get every excuse that you can to get outside and soak up some vitamin D, right? Can I get an amen and get tan, all right? If the forecast is snow, ugh. Let's just, I'm gonna skip that one. That's not even worth this metaphor. If you live in Florida, and God forbid the forecast is like a hurricane, you're gonna prepare for that. You're gonna dress accordingly, expecting rain and a lot of wind and a storm. You're gonna live and act like something big and powerful is rolling in even as we speak, right? And so, well, the, the title for this message tonight, just in case you're taking notes, is this, a forecast of revival. The forecast is revival. Revival is in the forecast. Revival is at our fingertips right now and God is looking for a willing group of people to bring it through because there are requirements for revival, right? Salvation is free and I'm gonna say this a few times tonight. Salvation is free and it costs you nothing. But things like being used by God above and beyond your salvation cost something. Things like revival above and beyond your salvation cost something as well. Like a rival, uh, revival is brought to people for free, but it's not brought through people for free. There's requirements. Like for instance, what we talked about a couple weeks ago with the fear of God, like a healthy fear and reverence and awe and respect of God falling on a group of people that allows those people to collectively take their eyes off of the things around them and, and focus them on God and how worthy he is and how awesome he is. And God looks down and he says, all right, I can do something with this group of people. Like, let's get to work now that I see all this is happening. Or like Jesse talked about last week, 
week when a group collectively believes that the spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the grave is alive and at work inside of them. Like that spirit lives in you right now. And when a group of people like this not only embraces it but begins to live like it, God looks down and says, all right, that's what I'm talking about. Let's get to work. I can do something through this group of people. Revival has requirements. And there's one more that I want to talk about tonight to kind of, pig, kind of piggyback off of what Jess talked about last week, and it's this idea of expectancy. It's the idea of expecting that revival is in the forecast, because if you expect and you believe that revival truly is in the forecast right now, you're going to pray like it is. If you really believe that revival is in the forecast, you're going you're gonna to talk to your friends like it is, right? You're going you're gonna to read the Bible like it is. You're going to eat lunch like revival is in the forecast if you truly believe it. You're going to do everything like, like it's in the forecast. You're going to live. You're going to love. You're going to give. You're going to serve like you're expecting God to show up in big and powerful ways. So be ready and, re- and expectant, you guys, because I promise you revival is in the forecast. We are more than conquerors. The end game, like the Broncos, is victory and it's time to buckle up and act like we believe that this is real. It's time, it's time to believe and live like this is real. Like, do you guys remember any of the Halloween costumes you had when you were little kids? You think back to maybe your favorite Halloween costume. My mom would make my Halloween costume for me and my little brother Ryan every single year, and we would put on these costumes, and I don't know about you, but like as soon as I put on the costume, I would literally transform into something else or somebody else, and you couldn't convince me that I wasn't whatever my costume was, right? I remember, I think I was four, and Ryan was three. I don't know how I remember this, but I was a fireman, and my brother was underdog. Do you remember underdog? He's like a puppy who's also a superhero. I think we have a picture of me and my brother, a fireman and underdog. Look at my brother, man. I don't know how I remember this. Like the first house that we walk up to, we go knock on the door and the guy answers and we're like, trick or treat. And he's just so fired up like, happy Halloween, guys. What's up? Like, look at this. We got a fireman and we got, uh, uh, have some candy, guys. Happy Halloween. Like, he had no idea. He didn't know. He didn't even know what to say. He was at a loss for words, and I thought that was so funny. I was only four. I don't think my brother really noticed, but the point is, man, you cannot convince me that I wasn't a fireman. Every fiber of my being believed that I was a fireman, and I expected to put out fires, all right? Every fiber in my being believed I was a fireman. I expected to be climbing some ladders to rescue little kittens from trees. That's what I expected because I knew I was a fireman. Ryan knew that he was a puppy who was also a superhero named Underdog. You cannot convince him that he wasn't. And then I think a couple years after that, we were both Ken Griffey Jr. for Halloween, and we put on these jerseys that my mom made out of these green t-shirts and white paint and when I put on that number 24 jersey man I became Ken Griffey Jr. and not just on Halloween but like every day for a year after that Ryan and I we'd turn our hats backwards put on our jerseys and head out into the backyard to play home run derby and I knew man I knew I was Ken Griffey Jr. and every swing that I took I believed I expected I was going to hit a home run in the same smooth and stylish fashion that Ken Griffey Jr. used to hit home runs and you cannot convince convinced me that that wasn't the case. I knew, I knew. And I was asking my wife yesterday if she had any stories like that. And she, uh, when she was little, she had a bell costume like from Beauty and the Beast. And she would wear it like every day, even after Halloween. She'd put on her bell costume and then she would put Beauty and the Beast in the VCR 
and she would act it out with the movie like every single day because she knew, she believed that she was a princess and she expected to be treated like a princess. And to this day, she still believes she's a princess because I'm just that good at being a husband. I am. She knows it. She expects to be treated like one, man. And her love language is Disney. And so I just, I just say, babe, you're the best part of every Disney princess all rolled up into one perfect girl that I'm crazy about. And that is the sexiest thing that I could ever say to my wife, that sentence right there. But <laughs> I have a point here, and it, it has nothing to do with Disney princesses or underdog or fireman or Ken Griffey Jr. My point is that, man, when you're little, like you need no convincing that you're, like you, you put on that costume and you believe with every cell in your body that you are something, even though in reality, you're really not that something. And then for some reason though, what happens is when we get older, I don't know where the shift takes place, but all of a sudden, all the permission in the world is not enough for us to believe and act like something that God actually says that we are. When we were little, we needed no permission. And sometimes today, all the permission in the world from my heavenly father to act like a more than a conqueror in my everyday life is not enough for me. I don't know when that shift took place. I needed no permission when I was little. And some days now, all the permission in the world just isn't enough to believe it and to act like it. It's no wonder Jesus said this in Luke chapter 18, verse 16. He said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. My kingdom is gonna come easy to the spirit of a little kid because I'm asking you to believe something that sounds crazy, but I'm giving you permission to act it out because I'm telling you that this is what reality is, that you are more than a conqueror and tomorrow you can get out of bed and you can act like it. Do you know that you're more than a conqueror? Do you know that nothing, not even death or life or angels or demons or anything else in all of God's creation will ever be able to separate you from the love that your heavenly father has for you? And do you live like it's true? Like does your life reflect the fact that it's true? Do you know with every fiber of your being that you are more than a conqueror? And do you know and expect that revival is in the forecast? Because the apostle Paul did, the guy who wrote that all of Romans, he wrote that verse in Romans chapter eight and he used that kind of victorious language. He would say, act, like play the season like you know you're gonna win the Super Bowl. Live your life like you know that you are more than a conqueror. And the, and the Apostle Paul, he wrote that kind of verse from a prison cell. He would sit in a prison cell and write, I am more than a conqueror. And nothing, no momentary struggle that rears its ugly face is enough because I know what my end game is. I know that my eternity is with my heavenly father and it permeated every aspect of his being and it allowed him to write verses like that and believe it with all his heart. Verses like that and verses like to live as Christ and what? To die is gain. Like what? Are you serious, Paul? Like to die is gain, so you're not afraid to die? And he would say, oh, death, it's gonna be sweet, man. Can't wait. Like Paul would, he would literally say that. I heard Matt Chandler joke about the fact that like that's how you knew Paul was so free because you couldn't touch him. And if you hated the gospel, you hated Paul so much because there was nothing that you could do to shut him up about it. And he knew, Paul knew, no struggle that comes my way is gonna stop me because I'm more than a conqueror because my end game is victory and eternity with my God and I'm gonna live like it's true. So yeah, to live is Christ and to die is gain, which is why you could not touch Paul even when you killed him. You couldn't touch Paul. You'd be like, Paul, shut up about this whole gospel thing or we're going to murder you. Oh, to die is gain. Nice, man. What? 
All right, fine, we'll let you live. To live is Christ, right on. Ah, what? All right, fine, Paul, we're gonna beat you until you can't stand up. All right, well, that's a momentary struggle that doesn't even compare to the glory that, has, that I have waiting for me right around the corner. Dang it! All right, Paul, you're gonna be that way? Well, then you're going to jail. It's the dungeons for you, Paul. All right, just know that I'm probably gonna be singing songs and converting every single one of your guards while I'm down there because I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me and nothing's gonna stand in my way. I'll be down there writing what will one day be called the Bible, and when God sends a literal earthquake and an angel to break me out, are you gonna stop him? Oh, no, I didn't think so. Yeah, because I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me, and Paul's life reflected what he believed. Paul's life, and I love this concept right here, demanded an explanation from somebody who didn't know Jesus. Somebody on the outside looking in at Paul's life would be like, your life demands an explanation, and I think at some point in all of our walks with Christ, people should look at us from the outside looking in and be like, what the heck is different about your life? Why are you so happy all the time, Paul? Why are you so peaceful and so joyful right now in a time that does not warrant peace or joy? What the heck is going on? How do you have so many miraculous stories to tell all the time? Why do you know this God so well, Paul? Like, what the heck is going on? And he would say that through him who loved me and him who died for me, I am more than a conqueror. And for me, that's not just a cool memory verse or even a cool tattoo. That is what I believe. And if you want proof, look at my life. Look at how I live, and you're going to see what I believe. And so let me just say this to you tonight, and I just pray. I pray that, you not, you, that you, it's not that you just hear this, but you really hear this tonight is that Paul was no more of a conqueror than you are. The Apostle Paul, all-star Christian, was no more of a conqueror than you are right now because it was not his qualifications that made him that. It was Jesus who made him that. And the Jesus that he had is the same Jesus that you have today. And the fullness of life that is offered to you is just as full as the fullness of life that was offered to Paul. The question is, will you believe it like a child? And will you live like it's actually true? Do you expect crazy things to happen because of it? Do you believe that revival is in the weather report? Will you expect God to do big things in your midst? Will you believe that you're going to see the glory of God in your lifetime? There's been a big posture shift in our YA staff. We've been praying for so long that God would bring revival. And now we're praying like we're not just waiting for a move of God, but that we are the move of God and that the move of God is here in our presence right now. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Is trouble or hardship or persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger or sword? No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So what's gonna separate Denver from the love of Christ? What the heck is gonna separate your best friend or your mom or your dad or your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband or wife or classmate or roommate? What's gonna separate them from this love that is found in Jesus Christ. Trouble, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, shame, anything, nothing is gonna separate them from the love that is found in Jesus Christ our Lord. And in all of these things, we are more than conquerors because the end game is victory and the forecast is revival. It's kind of like what Jesse talked about last week with the Lazarus story, which is in John chapter 11. And I love that story. If you don't remember, you've got Lazarus and Mary and Martha and their siblings. And they're pretty much like Jesus's family, right? They're, he's so close to them. And one day, Lazarus gets really sick to the point where he's, he's gonna die if a miracle doesn't happen. And so Mary and Martha write 
a, a letter to Jesus and they persuade him to come and heal their brother Lazarus. And Jesus comes, but Jesus takes his time in coming back and he's too late by the time he gets there. Lazarus has been dead for four days. And Jesus shows up in Mary and Martha's house and knocks on the door and Martha says, Jesus, you're too late. Lazarus has been dead for four days and I've seen Gray's anatomy, all right? I know that after... A few minutes, maybe a few minutes, like 10 minutes of being in cardiac arrest, you can bring somebody back. And there's even some miracles of people being gone, being dead for like an hour or two, and doctors have brought them back. But you don't bring somebody back after they've been dead for four days. That, that just medically does not happen. That, the, the only thing that explains that is, a, is an act of God and a miracle. And that's what Martha, and I don't blame her one bit. That's what she's, Jesus, you're too late. Lazarus, our brother, has been dead for four days, and Jesus says this, and I don't have this up on the screen, but if you wanna write this down, I love this verse. This is John chapter 11, verse 40, and he says, don't you remember? I told you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. I love that. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. If you believe, you will, and that's what, I, I want to see the glory of God happen in this city, you guys. I'm not talking about getting stuff from God. I'm talking about getting God. I'm talking about getting our Heavenly Father and believing so that we can see the glories that he has happen right in front of us, expecting revival to happen and seeing revival happen, expecting him to move in big ways and to save thousands of people in the city and seeing him move in big ways and saving thousands of people in this city. Like, that's what I want. I want to see it with my own two eyes, like, like Peter, James, and John saw the transfiguration on the mountain with Jesus. That's what I want. I want to see the glories of God happen, and I'm not afraid of what God's answer is gonna be. I think so often we're so worried that maybe God's gonna say no or something different is gonna happen than what we pray for or what we expect. And, and like that's the worst that's gonna happen. He's gonna say no. And like don't be afraid to ever bring your, like every, every petition that you ever have to him. Don't be afraid of what the answer is gonna be. If it's no, just know that God said no because he loves you way too much to give you what you asked him to give you. Or maybe he's saying yes, but he's just saying it's not my timing. Or maybe he's just waiting for your character to get to a certain level before he can say yes so that you can handle what you've asked him for. But please, just do not... Do not be afraid of what God's answer is going to be. Do not be afraid to expect big things and to believe big things because you're afraid of, of it happening different than what you expect. I, I'm praying and I'm expecting that, that revival truly is in our forecast that we are gonna see big things from a big and powerful God. And Ben, you guys can get back out here. here, here, here here's what I'm getting at tonight is Jesus... He had 12 disciples in his life, right? 12 guys, 12 best friends that followed him everywhere that he went for three years on this journey that they were on. And they observed him and they watched him do his thing and they kind of learned about this kingdom that he told them about and they learned about the mission that Jesus was on and they took notes. And according to the Bible, they, they heard verbally at least three times Jesus sit them down Give them a little powwow pep talk and say, boys, take a knee, I gotta talk to you. At the end of this journey that we're on, we're gonna find ourselves in Jerusalem. And upon our arrival in Jerusalem, things are gonna go south. 
and things are gonna get a little scary and I'm gonna get arrested and I'm gonna get captured and all of you are gonna scatter when that happens and then I'm gonna get crucified and, and the funny thing is everything plays out exactly like Jesus tells them it's going to play out. They show up in Jerusalem, he gets captured, all of his 12 best friends desert him and he gets flogged to the point where he's pretty much half dead and then they hand him a cross and they make him walk that cross up the side of a mountain while they mock him and ridicule him and spit on him and make fun of him. And once he gets to the top of the mountain, they nail him to that cross. And for the six darkest, most excruciating hours of his life, he hangs on this cross while he slowly suffocates. His lungs slowly fill up with blood. That's how you die when you're crucified. And for those six hours, the darkest moments of Jesus's entire life, of his 12 disciples, his 12 best friends, how many of them do you think made it to at least give Jesus their company for the darkest six hours of his life while he hung on that cross? You know the moment where the Son of God was forsaken by his heavenly Father and he surrendered his spirit and the sky turned black and the earth shook and the curtain over at the temple was torn in two and all of history was forever changed in that moment? How many of his 12 best friends at least made it to the foot of the cross to give him their company and witness one of the most powerful events in all of history. One out of 12 friends, one of them made it back. John was the only one who made it to the foot of the cross. How many of them a few days later made it outside of the tomb to watch Jesus roll the stone away and walk out of it having just conquered death like he said he was going to? None of them were there to see that. Even though he told them that's what, what, that was, that's what was going to happen, none of them were there because they were fishing instead. They were fishing and that's why they missed it. And I know you could say, all right, yeah, it's probably though the craziest three days of their lives. Like those disciples, man, they were going through a lot and I'll give you that, but you know who else was going through a lot? Jesus. And I don't care, like, if you truly expected that he was gonna conquer death and walk out of his grave having just beaten sin, like, there's no amount of, there's no amount of fear, there's no amount of shame from just moments before deserting him that would keep you from being there at the foot of the cross to witness what was the most gut-wrenching, heartbreaking, yet beautifully powerful, earth-shattering moments in all of history. Like you would be there if you truly expected that that is what was going to happen and nothing would keep you from being outside of the tomb. Like you'd camp out and just pound coffee and Red Bull and just stare at that tomb and not even sleep and just wait for that stone to be rolled to the side so that you could see your best friend and Messiah save the world and conquer death. If they were expectant, they would have been there. And I'm not trying to dog on the disciples, but they were fishing instead of witnessing that. And I, like, I can't say if I were one of them, I, I, I very well might've been doing the exact same thing that they were doing, but the, the truth is still the same. If they were expectant, they would have witnessed the two most powerful events that history will ever record, the cross and the resurrection, but they were not there. They missed it because of a lack of expectancy. Unbelief kills. Salvation is free. But if you wanna see the glories of God, unbelief is the very thing that will keep that from happening. But the story continues. And after Jesus conquers the grave, he, in the most beautiful and loving and forgiving way, reveals himself again to his friends almost like nothing had ever happened between them. 
hangs out with them for 40 days, and then he ascends, he floats up into the clouds, into heaven. Can't imagine what that was like. And he gives them a charge before he leaves, and he says, I'm charging you with the, with the job of bringing my kingdom to this planet. I'm passing the torch to you, and you're gonna start my church. And that doesn't happen if you're not expecting it. But there's something about hanging out physically with Jesus just days after you know he just died that does something for your faith and does something for your expectancy because you realize, man, if this, if this God is for me, nothing is gonna stand against me. If this God is on my side, then I'm gonna be expectant that I'm gonna see the glories of God. And they took that newfound expectancy with them and they started the church and they've brought the gospel to the ends of the earth, including Denver, Colorado right now. And they've preached, they preached messages where hundreds of people were saved at the exact same time. And they stood boldly with confidence even in the face of the most painful deaths, because of expectancy, they knew that they were more than conquerors and they expected that Jesus Christ was who he said he was and it permeated their lives and showed through them because expectancy changes everything. The Bible has another word for expectancy. It calls it faith. Faith is being sure of things even when we can't see things according to Hebrews chapter 11. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Translation, with faith, you please God. And you move him to show us his glories in big ways and to do crazy, crazy, crazy things. Like I believe expectancy is what's gonna change this city. Expectancy is what's, it's what's gonna bring revival to the city because remember, salvation is free, but being used by God above and beyond that costs something. Salvation is free, revival is not, and generations before us have come and gone unexpected, and they've had salvation, free salvation, but they have missed God. They've missed getting to see God flex his muscles and doing mighty and crazy things right in front of them and through them, but not this generation. I've heard so many things about how different and how special this generation is, not just from people here, but from people in countries all over the world. Like this thing is so much bigger than us. This generation, there's something special about this generation. I see a generation that is rising up to take its place. I see a near revival that is stirring as we pray and as we seek him. I see an awakening and quickening of God's people in this generation to act like the people that he says that we are, which is more than conquerors. And I'm expectant that the, that the Red Conference next week is going to be historical and pivotal for this city. I'm expecting that Denver is not going to be the same after next weekend. I'm just expecting that, that God's gonna move in such powerful ways that Denver, Colorado truly will be a city on a hill, like Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter five. A, a glory city on a hill a mile high above sea level for the entire world to see. Denver, Colorado, and I'm expecting that God is going to do that, and people are going to be saved. Thousands of people are gonna be saved, that he's gonna bring revival to people through this group of people and save people and heal broken relationships and, and heal wounds on the inside that need to be healed and just make people healthier on the inside. And, and we're gonna see addictions fall away, and it's only gonna be the beginning. And I'm expecting that people who haven't even heard will We'll, we'll start to see. And people who haven't even been told will somehow just begin to understand. And I'm expecting that hundreds, maybe thousands of Christians will finally claim the victory that Jesus Christ has already earned for them on the cross. I'm expecting that, that this conference next weekend, man, it's gonna be something that sparks a movement 
of the pursuit, not of happiness, but of holiness in Denver, Colorado. I'm expecting that he has heard the thousands upon thousands of prayers that we have sent up to him, and he has looked down and smiling at the hundreds upon hundreds of ways that we have taken action, and it's gonna move him to do immeasurably more than anything we could ever ask for or imagine, because that's just what he does. He's God, that's his character, and his character never changes. His love stays the same through the ages, and nothing is gonna separate you from that love because you are more than a conqueror. You have his permission to act like it. Give yourself permission to act like it. You have his permission to rise up and take your place as part of a generation that's finally going to allow God to bring revival through them. Because revival costs something, but the value of it far outweighs the cost, and the reward is far greater than the risk. So do not be caught fishing when you could be witnessing the glories of God. Continue to show up and just see what he does. Continue to be expectant and just see what he does. Expect that his word stays the same through the ages and you're gonna see what it looks like for his word to stay the same through the ages. Expect that at the sound of his voice, strongholds surrender and you just might witness the very sight of strongholds surrendering and falling off of you, the people around you, and of an entire city. Be expectant that you are more than a conqueror. Live like it's true and I promise you, you will find yourself caught up in a movement with the rest of us who believe and are expectant that revival is currently in the forecast. Would you guys bow your heads with me? Just out of respect for everybody else in the room. If you're in here tonight and you just, you need help with expectancy, you need help with belief, like you know that Jesus is the Son of God, you know that He died for you and you've accepted Him as your Savior in your life, but you just wanna go to the next level you're hearing how salvation is free, but there's so much more for you. And you need help just believing. That's fine. There's a moment in one of the gospels where a guy approaches Jesus and he says, God, Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Help me believe more than I do. Help me be more expectant than I do. Help me expect to see your glory happen in my life. Help me expect, God, that you're gonna lead me into freedom as I do my best to, to leave this addiction or this lifestyle, this way of life behind, God, because I am so comfortable with this lifestyle and stepping out of what's familiar and into my destiny, which is unfamiliar, is horrifying to me. And without expectancy and belief that you're gonna be there every step of the way, it's I, like, I don't know. If you're in here tonight and you just wanna believe bigger and expect bigger things from him, I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand right now. Just respond to what's happening on the inside by showing it outwardly. He, he, that's awesome. My hand's up too. You can put your hand down. The second question I have is if you're in this room and, and I feel like maybe somebody is tonight where you've probably known for a while that this God thing is real and this Jesus guy who carried that cross up the mountain 2,000 years ago and hung on it for six hours to conquer death and conquer sin and make you white as snow. You know that this is real. And I'm telling you, this is not about religion. This is not about church. Christianity is about a relationship with your heavenly Father. It's a relationship where you can know Him the same way Paul knew Him the same way Peter or John and any of the disciples knew him. You can know Jesus in that same kind of way, the God who created you. You can have a relationship with your creator. 
And if you're in here tonight and you're feeling anything on your heart and you know who you are, where you think God is just speaking to you, this is between you and him. But I just want you to respond also just by raising your hand in the air and accepting, I want Jesus in my life right now. I'm giving it to him right now. That is awesome. Like, like me saying that a new life begins for you right now doesn't do justice to what is happening right now in this moment. For those of you who have your hands up right now, you can put your hands back down. Will everybody stand up with me right now? And just join me as we expectantly pray incredible, powerful things over the city of Denver. The Spirit of the Lord is in this room and the evidence, you feel the evidence. You showed up because of the evidence. And God honors you when you show up. And Father, I just pray your blessing over every person in this room. God, I know, I know that every person in this room wants to expect bigger things from you. God, I pray over people who have unmet expectations from people in their lives who have let them down and they're projecting those unmet expectations on their perfect heavenly Father, on you. Father, I pray that you would show them that, that you, you never let us down. We can shoot our expectations to the moon and you will never let us down. You will always show up, you will always be there and we can always trust you in that. If anybody in here just needs to know that tonight, I pray that you would meet them in a way tonight, God, that would, that would show them. They can expect that you will show up. We can expect that revival is in the forecast. And Father, this coming week, starting tomorrow morning even, as we dress like it's real, as we live like it's real, as we pray like it's real, as we talk to our friends like it's real, as we go to work like we believe that it's real, God, I know that you're gonna do crazy things. We believe, God, and we wanna see you flex your muscles. We wanna see you show off in our city. I wanna see Denver become a glory city on a hill a mile high above sea level for the entire world to see Jesus. And so collectively, as a group of young adults who fear you and know how worthy you are of our reverence, who understand that the spirit that raised your son from the grave is alive and at work within us tonight, thank you for your permission to us to act and live like we truly are more than conquerors. As that group of young adults, we collectively shift our focus from the things in front of us and our distractions onto the things above, prepare to sing these songs for you, and expect, God, that you're going to answer in crazy big ways that if we believe, we truly will see the glories of God come true in Denver, Colorado. God, thank you for being so good and pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing.